Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Cassandra Wood from Channel 9. Cassandra has worked in Sydney media for a decade as a journalist and newsreader with radio stations 2SM and WSFM, as well as a producer and reporter for Channel 9. We chat about the importance of work experience, the rush of live television, and the man who has had the most impact on her career. Cassandra is one of my favourite people in the media, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Cassandra Wood. Hello, Rafi Tucker. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You're at Channel 9 as a reporter these days. I am. How's all that going? Good. Yeah, it's going good. It's, um, you know, it's long days and it's pretty full on, but no, I'm really enjoying it. Now, you originally went over there to be a producer. How did the transition go from being that producer to being an on-camera reporter? Um, it went well, I think. I mean, I'd obviously been uh, reporting in radio, um, so I'd... I'd done it, yeah, in radio and, and loved it and I sort of went to Channel 9 with the intention of being a producer. Like I didn't go there with the intention of wanting to be a reporter and, yeah, I was producing for about three and a half years um, and I loved it and I sort of got to the most senior levels of the production desk and sort of started to think, oh, I think I miss being on the road. I think I miss being a journalist and... I sort of went and had a chat to my boss and he sort of said, oh, okay, well, all right, we'll start doing some shifts on the road, see how you go. I thought, oh, shit, okay. And, yeah, I sort of just did it here and there um, over a few months and then, yeah, position came up and I've been doing it full time for the past six months. Did it come naturally to you again, the fact that, okay, you like you said, you had – your grounding in, in radio. So the basic principle was there. It was just what you were doing was being filmed rather than you ringing it in as such. Yeah, I think I think it's still – I still feel like a deer in headlights. Like that regard, in that regard, it's completely still like, oh, shit, what am I doing? What am I doing? But I think having worked on the production desk helped enormously and there are so many – people at work that say now, having worked on the desk and having that understanding of, you know, how TV works, you know, in terms of crafting a story and all the boxes you need to tick in that regard. It sounds like such a wank, crafting a story. But, like, you know, all those things that you need to do that I never sort of had to think about in radio, um, you know, like you go along to a media conference and you you ask questions and you or you go to a crime scene and you sort of, you know, you get voxies with witnesses and things like that. That all stays the same. But in terms of radio versus TV, it is completely different. And I think the th- I think the thing that helped me the most and still helps me the most now every day is having worked on the production desk and just having that understanding of, you know, what needs to be done and, yeah, all the boxes that need to be ticked in terms of making this story a story for TV. Who taught you to do that? Because obviously coming from a radio background, I'd imagine it's pretty much like a whole new language that you've got to learn for TV. Yeah. Were there people there that helped you understand that better when you first took it on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
starting on the desk, there's sort of, you know, a lot more senior producers that sort of say, because, you know, when you're working on the desk, you're a producer and obviously that's all you need to worry about is how to do that and how to do it well. But, you know, other producers sort of guide you and teach you how to get that stuff sorted. And once you've sort of mastered that, then you're producing stories. So you're looking after stories that reporters who, you know, have worked in regional TV or, you know, have worked on the production desk are doing themselves and your job is to assist them. So, yeah, it's very much team work. Everybody's sort of helping each other and getting it. It's amazing how much goes into, you know, a one-minute 20 story that you see on the TV. So people at home who don't understand what's going behind the scenes, that's a frantic situation as a bulletin is about to go to air and then going to air yeah. as well. Oh, totally. And and particularly that um, when you're on air, like being in the control room and putting the news to air, like that, that I really miss, like that production side of things I really miss because that's what I enjoyed most about being a producer was the lineup and EP, executive producer type things where you're in charge of the bulletin and it's, you know, if it all goes to shit when you're on air, it's on you. You know, okay, it, there's a director that's pushing the buttons and physically making it happen, but you as the EP are responsible for all of that. And so in that last hour between 5pm and 6pm, it would just be chaos. And it still is like, you know, because you're you're checking stories that have, you know, are being cut by the editors and are still you know, you need to sign off on them and, and things like that. So I think I think the reporters have it a lot easier in that last hour um, rather than the producers. But, you know, having said that, it's the reporters that are sort of running all around Sydney um, all day long <laughs> trying to sort of, you know, do everything that needs doing in order to get the story to wear that night. Now, have you always worked on the hour-long news? Because it used to be half-hourly, so... I'd imagine then that's an extra half hour of content that you have to fill every night and it's all got to be timed out, right, doesn't it? It's to the absolute second. And if something goes wrong with a a cross or whatever, you've got to then fill that time to get that space sorted out. Yeah. It seems like it would be, like you describe it, as just pure chaos. Yeah. Seven nights a week. Yeah, pretty much. And it's not just the 6 p.m. news. I mean, there's the, you know, there's the morning news. Um, there's the the 9 news now, which is on at 3 p.m. There's the afternoon news. Like there were, there are several bulletins that all sorts of people, you know, producers work on across the day. Obviously, the 6 p.m. bulletin is the main bulletin. Um, but, you know, when I first started, I was, I was lining up the um, 11 a.m. news and I used to freak out. Like I just, I used to get so nervous doing that and being on air during that time because in the daytime bulletins, generally that's when there's a lot more breaking news and things happening. And whereas the 6 p.m. news, it's sort of, there's a lot more format. It's a lot more structured. It's encapsulating the day, right? Exactly. It's a wrap up of the day and everything is planned. It's not just, 
oh, there's stuff happening now. Let's just take a live chopper shot and just, uh, you know, getting the presenter's ear and talk to pitchers. Like that doesn't happen on 6 p.m. I mean, if there's breaking news, we'll always go to it and we'll take it and all the rest of it. But with the daytime news bulletins, it was sort of treated a lot more like rolling coverage and I'll never, ever forget one day. It was so bad. It was one of the first bulletins I'd done and Amelia Adams, who's one of my really good friends, was the – presenter at the time and Tim Sheridan was reading sport and you know thank Christ they're both such lovely humans and it didn't all go to shit the way it could have but I I remember there was there was rolling coverage there was stuff happening and I think we were taking we were taking pictures um from the chopper and Amelia was just talking over them but it happened to happen right in the middle of the sport break so Shero had sort of stopped and Amelia was like, okay, we're going to take you to breaking news now. And whatever it was, I can't for the life of me remember what the story was. But I remember thinking, God, like the, we're running out of time. Like we've got to get this last ad break away because we're running out of time. Like we're just, we've got to get this ad break away. And then, you know, we probably had right in the last bit of the bulletin, there was a, a minute set aside for news, uh, sorry, for weather. By that point, I'm thinking, shit, we're only going to have about 10 seconds left for weather. And, and I remember saying, um, to, I, th- I thought I was saying to Amelia, throw to an ad break, but I was talking to, to Shero and I was in his ear and I'm going, okay, just throw to a break. We're going to throw to a break now. We're going to throw to a break, throw to a break. And so Shero has interrupted Amelia to throw to an ad break and they're sort of looking at each other and I've gone, oh my God, oh my God. It was the worst feeling knowing that I was responsible for what looked like an absolute clusterfuck on air. <laughs> And it was so bad. And I remember Amelia just being like, okay, we're going to go to an ad break now. She'd obviously registered what would ha- what had happened and I just burst into tears and I thought, oh, my God, that was that was the worst thing. That was, that was so bad. And they were both so good about it and the director was so good about it and even my boss. Like I remember my boss saying to me, Cass, if that's the worst thing you're going to do, you're not doing too badly. Don't worry about it. But it was just, it's just that live TV element. You get caught up in it and you think that what you're doing is the most important job in the world. Yeah. And when you're in the control room and there's breaking news and you've got to take it, but you've got to time out the bulletin, it's just like, ah! But at the same time, it's great. People wonder why journos drink. <laughs> exactly. People in media drink. So that's a really great encapsulation of what can actually go wrong oh, behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. But I'd imagine that there are plenty of days when you come off air and you think that went really well yeah. you covered everything that we needed to cover and I've just done a really good job there. Mm, absolutely. And that that is very rewarding. Like I imagine that, it would be fairly rare too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean like what happened that day in the control room, thankfully that doesn't happen very often. But when it does, you know, we're lucky that we have such – good presenters and professionals that make it look completely flawless. But, you know, like you were saying last week, for instance, there was that shooting at Ingleburn and it was all going down between five to five and 25 past five. And the afternoon news was on air and I was there at the scene and I just had to talk like my cameraman was, had the locked off live shot of everything that was going on and they just brought the hostages out and I just had to talk. I just literally had to talk about what I was saying and what was happening. And it was it was a bit awkward at times because I couldn't quite 
see exactly what was going on and they'd taken them out around the other side of the building. Right. So you're blinded. Yeah, completely. And I couldn't, I could actually, I had a better view in my cameraman's viewfinder. Luckily I wasn't in front of the camera. I was, they were just taking the live pictures and I was just talking into the mic and I, there was a better view in his viewfinder of actually what was happening. So I could see that way rather than, cause it couldn't, it was just, there were cops everywhere and it was just crazy. But at the same time, we were literally going to air live as it was happening and it was great fun. How much of your background in radio then came into play? The fact that, like you said, yeah. you just had to talk. Exactly, yeah. And that's something that you'd done so many times before Yeah. that painting that word picture came into play even though you did have pictures yourself. Yeah, that, that has helped enormously. I mean, I think the best... Um, uh, experience I got doing live crosses was when I was covering the Brisbane floods when I worked at um, WS, um, the Australian Radio Network. I think that was 2011. And that was, you know, I was doing lots and lots of crosses to all different radio stations, even overseas. And yeah, I mean, just as you said in radio, that was all, that was all you knew. So you literally had to use words to paint the picture, not pictures. Um, and that was, I think that's, been great experience. Let's go back to where it all started for you. Was a career in journalism or radio or TV always on your radar? It was, but I sort of, as ridiculous as this sounds, I actually didn't ever think it was possible. I, I'd always wanted to do it. Why? And, well, I don't know. I just thought, oh, it's it, it's just so hard to get into and it's so competitive and, you know, it's it's one of those jobs that, you sort of, I just, I couldn't ever see myself doing it because I thought, oh, that's just so completely, especially radio and TV. I just thought, oh, no, there's no way I'd ever be able to make it doing that. And my dad was a journalist and he, um, you know, he had a really, really, really strong passion for news and I did as well. And I remember um, doing my HSC and thinking, no, I want to, this is what I want to do. I'm, I want to study communications. And I applied for communications at uh, UTS and I think the UAI was something like 98. Yeah, brain surgeon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and unfortunately I didn't quite get 98. <laughs> um, and so I, I took a year off and I worked in a law firm and I kind of thought, oh, I'll study law. That's what I'll do. But then – Somebody told me about this course at Maclay College that you could do. One year. One year. <laughs> Diploma in journalism. I thought, oh, yeah, that'll do. And so I'd, I did that thinking, oh, that'll get me credit points towards um, this communications degree that I had my heart set on doing. And that's why I did the course at Maclay. And I did a lot of work experience while I was there. Isn't that one of the great benefits of that oh. particular course is the fact that, okay, it's virtually demanded that you do it do work experience. So yep. it just opens up the door to the contacts straight away. Unbelievably. If you use it effectively, you can pretty much set up your career from that point. And I was the same. I did it a few years before you. But the fact that they said, right, well, you need X amount of hours of work experience to pass the course. virtually pass the course. Yeah. It was just like, well, I'm going to do those. Yeah. And I ended up doing like you know, quadruple the amount that was required. So, so did I. Because I loved it. Yes, I loved, I loved going in 
for me it was the the days that were that weren't required for for study was Friday. So every Friday I trotted myself off to do work experience, yeah. and I just became embedded in that situation and learnt so much that that's how I sort of got my start and established my my contacts. But yeah, going back to your situation, I'd imagine you were pretty enthusiastic and pretty similar about that. Totally. And I, you know, I used to <laughs> cop some flack from my uh, other classmates who'd, you know, give me grief about how whenever we had holidays, I'd be off doing another stint at, you know, in the Nine newsroom or at, um, you know, a current affair or um, in the newsroom at Nova. Like I did a couple of different places and Sky News because we had, you know, X amount of hours set aside for this, which was, as you said, a requirement of the course. But then I'd sort of everywhere I'd go, I'd be like, oh, can I come back? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess. And I'd sort of go back in every time I had holidays or if I had a day off. And I honestly, I say that every time I have um, a work experience student come out with me on the road at work or if ever we have anyone at work and they say, oh, you know, what, how did you get into it? I, I always say, and I still maintain, that doing as much work experience as possible when you're studying is the best way to, as you said, make contacts, but just get a proper understanding of what the job actually is. Because I find that so many young people don't actually understand what working in a newsroom is like and what it requires. And getting that practical experience is just so important and I remember Peter Harvey when I did work experience at nine Peter Harvey said to me oh so you know what what do you want to do Cassandra and I said oh well you know I kind of you know this is my plan and blah 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 and and he said to me well you need to you need to work in the industry as much as you can work for free and just keep coming in and doing your thing and eventually they'll offer you a job and I thought oh okay it it sounds like plausible. But, I know. know. And then it works out that it's actually true. Exactly. <laughs> and even even if you don't, even not, even if it doesn't happen right away, you still meet people who you will always come back in contact with later on. Or like when I, I got my first job, um, I applied for a cadetship at 2SM, but I'd also applied for I'd applied for all sorts of jobs in regional TV and regional radio as well, and just kept getting sort of you know nice the, letters back. Yeah, well, the few letters you got back were mm. rejection letters if you were lucky enough to hear back. Yeah. Um, but I did actually get offered a job at um, Radio uh, 2WEB in Burke. Right. That was my first job that I was offered. And um, they were going to fly me out there just to see how I liked the town and just to sort of get me wow. used to it. And I thought, oh, okay, this is, yeah, all right. Showing I can, some promise. I can do this. Yeah, exactly. And I was all set. Um, I was booked on the Monday to, to go. And then um, that afternoon I, I got a letter from, um, oh, no, I think I got a phone call from um, 2SM in Sydney saying, oh, we've um, – We've got your your read and your um your resume. Would you would you like a job? I was like, oh, you don't. What? A, well, I don't need what to have an interview or anything. It's like, no, no. And so, sure enough, the following week, I started at Two SM, and that's how it all began. <laughs> what did you learn from that experience there at Two SM? I've spoken to like there's so many people <laughs> that I've already spoken to on this yeah. podcast series that. 
have gone through there and everybody, you know, laughs it off. Uh. But it seems to be that, uh, as I described it to somebody else, preschool moment of just like it's a real radio station and real people work there. Yeah. But it's like nothing else. No, exactly. It's I can't. I cannot even describe how bizarre that experience was. I mean, it was great, and I met some some of my best friends who I'm still really close friends with. I met at two SM. Um, people like you know Georgie McCaro and Tess Salmon, and you know so many people I worked with at two SM. I've stayed really good friends with over the years. And um, Diane Coveney Garland was the you know, news director at the time. And I think she's still there and she knew what she was doing, but the rest of us had no idea. And we'd sort of, you just get thrown in the deep end, literally. And I remember thinking on my first day, I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll get to read the news like in the next couple of months if I'm lucky. And I was reading the news that day and I just thought, how can this be happening? Like, what is going on? I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea. I just, oh, but, you know, somehow... Everybody just kind of made it work and helped each other out and we got there. It's like a really big talent pool for, I guess, other radio stations like 2UE and 2GB and the FM guys. Yeah. Kind of see that, okay, you're getting some kind of training there, so you're showing some kind of ability and aptitude for for the job. After a while, they don't have to worry about putting you through your paces of of training because you've... You've Learnt on the job at two SM. Literally, that's literally exactly how it happens. Yeah, that's right. And by the time you've done a couple of months at two SM, you sort of um, you've got your grounding and you've you've kind of learnt. You've made all your mistakes, so to speak. And then hopefully you've got them out of your yeah. system before you you know move into um, high school. As yeah, exactly. Were, from preschool. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, thankfully. That's That was the case for me and has been the case for many, many journos. The next step was to ARN, WSFM and yes. Mix, as it was called back then. Yes. Did you have to apply for that or were you approached to, to come across? Well, I think what had happened was I'd actually, when I'd sent out, at the same time I applied for the, the job at 2SM, I'd, um, I'd also applied for a job at um, ARN And Corinne McKay, who was the news director, she was the Sydney news director at the time, and um, Glenn Daniel was the group news director. Um, She'd actually got back to me and said, look, we don't have anything at the moment, but stay in touch. And I thought, oh, great, you know, that sounds promising. And I remember thinking the whole time I was at 2SM, I just want to read one news bulletin that's good enough to send to Corinne so that just one that doesn't have a mistake so that hopefully, you know, that will maybe get me closer to getting a job and that just never happened. Like I I never ended up with a read that I was happy enough with. But then three months after being at 2SM, um, Corinne actually got in touch with me and said, oh, um, you know, we've we've been hearing some of your bulletins. Do you want to have a coffee? And I thought, oh, oh, yeah, okay. that'd be great. All right. And sure enough, that's what I did. And then, yeah, I mean, four months after starting at 2SM, I was offered this amazing job at ARN with, um, yep, WSFM and Mix as it was back then. And I was um, reading and editing um, weekend breakfast bulletins 
and I was on the road three days a week and I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. I loved everything about it and I, Glenn was just the best boss and I always say that I'm pretty sure the only reason, well, not the only reason, but the main reason I lasted at ARN for five years is because I knew that I was probably never, ever going to have a boss as good as Glenn Daniel ever again. And I just loved everything about the job. And the people I worked with were amazing and the job itself was great. And the opportunities I got in that place and the the stories I covered and the things I did, I've just, oh, it was awesome. Walking into a place like that where there were so many experienced people that were able to sort of bring you along, it must have been initially when you took on the weekend uh, gig and then also the reporting gig, it must have been a little bit daunting knowing where you'd come from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you'd literally come from this place where there was sort of not much guidance and not much um, experience. We were all in the same boat. Like we were all... Everyone at 2SM, we were all kind of, apart from Di, we were all the same age. We were fresh out of uni, fresh out of college. Um, we had no idea what we were doing. And yet I went to ARN and I had people like Glenn and Corinne who were not only happy to help but give you feedback as well, like sit you down and go through your bulletins and say, this is what is sounding great, this is what's sounding not so great, this is how you're writing. Not is. in a pool pull you apart kind no, of way God in a no. very yeah. concise and constructive Completely. and detailed manner. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and that was so good to have because, you know, even now, like I just I always say to, you know, more senior journos at work or my bosses, if I'm doing something wrong, you need to tell me. Like please tell me. Because if nobody's telling you, then how are you meant to get better? How are you meant to improve? And I'm, I'm convinced that even in that first six months at ARN, I improved so much purely because I had people like Glenn and like Corinne who were prepared to sit down and say, hey, you're going really well, but here's how you can go even better. And and, and even, even on the road as well, Leanne Lincoln, who again is now still one of my best friends at the time i <laughs> i was so freaked out when i first met leanne because i knew that she was so, oh totally totally because <laughs> i'd seen her she'll hate that i'd seen her she'll know it, oh yeah. exactly and i've told her that i'm like hey i'm so shit scared of you she and she says to me what really <laughs> but i'd seen her at at press conferences out on the road and i'd hear the sorts of questions that she'd ask and i'd you know i'd think to myself oh wow you know she's She's such a good journalist and she was. And, you know, I learnt, again, so much from her. And, yeah, ARN, my time at ARN, seriously, was just amazing. The versatility that they gave you the opportunity to experience must have been something that was invaluable as well. I mean, you were pretty much Glenn's backup by the time that it had all sort of evolved. Yeah. And if there was anything wrong with him or or something uh, went amiss, you were the one that was called in for, to read breakfast on um, yeah. WSFM. So when you look back on that experience, the fact that, okay, you started off like everybody does on, you know, weekend breakfast and then you were able to sort of learn on the road and then you were able to sort of pretty much just fit in where they needed you to fit in. What did that teach you about 
not only what you needed to be on radio, but also about yourself, how you're able to adapt in those situations? I think, I think my, and still to, you know, to some extent now, I've always been the kind of person that I sort of, I doubt myself a lot and I sort of think, oh no, I'm not, God, I don't think I can do this. And Glenn was always the sort of person saying, well, Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time he, I think he was going on holidays or something. And, um, and he said, right, you're, and you're going to read and edit breakfast. Um, and I said, what? Monday to Friday. And he was, (laughs) he was like, yeah. I'm like, with Jones in Amanda. And he was, and he said, yeah. And I was like, oh, um, are you sure? (laughs) And he kind of laughed and he said, yes. Of course. You're ready. Yeah, you're ready. And I thought, oh, God, am I? And I just – I made myself sick all weekend thinking, oh, God, I can't do this, I can't do this. What happens if I sleep in? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What happens if I completely cock it up? Yeah, exactly. What if – what if? well, you know, and and filling the shoes of someone like Glenn Daniel, I thought, oh, Christ, what am I doing? And I just – I got in there extra early and I was extra prepared and – I just had fun with it. And as you would know, Jonesy and Amanda, they're just, just the most lovely, chilled out people. And in terms of working in a live radio breakfast setting with anyone, you want it to be them because they were just so cool and so supportive and I just did it. And after day one was out of the way, I thought, oh, yeah, I can do this, and I quite enjoyed it. That was when our paths first crossed when you did that weekend breakfast shift. Yes. You were also working – at the same time alongside Natalie Matt Peters, Peters, who's yeah. doing great things at, at 2GB. GB, yeah. What was that like knowing that you were both coming through together? And that's a little bit older than you, but at the same time was probably a rookie in the sense of um, being a, a newsreader and you both pretty much like spurring each other on to get better and also um, achieve your goals. Yeah, totally. And we we were. We were both rookies. Like I was fresh out of 2SM. She was fresh out of afters. And we were, we both, we were doing the exact same role. Um, we were, you know, we were starting at 3.30 in the morning every Saturday and Sunday. And I was reading um, for the Sydney, the two Sydney stations, and she was reading for the two Brisbane stations. So we were pretty much doing the exact same job. And then the other three days we were on the road as reporters. And having Nat alongside me just made such a difference because we were able to you know, not only is she a great human, she was also really good at her job. And it was great having that person to sort of be able to bounce ideas off. And- well, I guess and also, you know, as much as you don't want to sound competitive, but also compare yourself to somebody that's actually in the same yeah. same shoes. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, but I think we were both, we were in the same boat. Like we were both, and it was good that I think we had each other because we were both at the same level. Um, we both were quite unsure about what we were doing, but we were both really passionate about it and, we loved radio and we loved working in news and we both knew how lucky we were having a boss like Glenn who was so supportive and helpful and, yeah, we were both just very much on the same page. And Nat and I worked together for probably a good five years um, at ARN. She left before I did and went off to GB um, and, you know, now she's reading breakfast news for um, Alan Jones, which is amazing. 
Um, and yeah, I went off to nine a couple of years ago and, you know, we still keep in touch, but yeah, it was good. It was good having each other, I think, to go through that period where we would have otherwise had not much idea what we were both doing. (laughs) You said before that Glenn gave you the confidence to do that. And there's so many people out there that in the radio industry that can be thankful for him for giving them their start. But like you say, providing that exceptional feedback in a way that is not always praising you, but giving you that constructive criticism to make you better. It seems to be that there's not a lot of Glenn Daniels out there in the media industry these days. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess we can all be grateful for the fact that that we worked alongside him. I don't think there's enough value put on the fact that he was such a, a great mentor. No, and and he really was. Like he was just. And still is. Oh, yeah, totally. I know. We're talking like <laughs> he's still around everyone. Yeah, he's not gone yet. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, I think, and that's what I meant when I said, I, I know I will never, ever have a boss as good as Glenn. And I, I'm pretty sure that's why I lasted at ARN for as long as I did because, you know, as I said before, not only did I love the job, but I just, I loved working under Glenn. And, you know, like you said, everything he always, every bit of feedback or, um, you know, advice he gave you was always constructive. And it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, oh, he was so lovely. He was always patting me on the back. It's not even that. It was just, and, and because he was so, you know, experienced and he knew what he was talking about. Like yeah. he was somebody that you could take advice from. Oh, mate, he used to get up at 1 o'clock in the morning yeah, to go I to know. work. Like, know. you know, he used to shame everybody else into the fact that nobody was working harder and then some days he might be there at like, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon and still going. But the other great thing that I think is lacking these days in, in uh, management positions is that, you knew that Glenn always had your back yep. when it came to negotiations with management about staff. 100%. You knew that he was going to go into bat for you and if it was an extra five grand that you wanted on a on a paycheck, yep. you'd get it or you knew that he was going to die trying getting it for you. Absolutely, and especially working at an FM radio station where, you know, unlike 2UE and 2GB, um, news wasn't the bread and butter, you know, it was, it was programs. Oh, sorry. Well, it was, you know, it was advertising dollars and it was, you know, it was songs. It was a music radio station, yep. but WS, um, had a great news service and a great newsroom. And that was all because of Glenn. And to this day, I mean, that station still prides itself on its news service and its news, you know, bulletins and, I honestly think that they they owe that to Glenn. He's not there anymore, no. but he set that up. And he he was always so passionate about news. And as you said, he would go into that 100% for you and for his staff. And, you know, it, it wasn't easy, you know, fighting with PDs who were, you know, more concerned about music and Advertising dollars. All right. Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, they're looking at it from a purely different mind, mindset in, in, in the fact that, okay, well, if I cut the news down, yep. I can jam an extra few ads in here or I can get another n- another song in here yep. at the expense of news. And you always knew that 
Glenn was so passionate about the product, whereas I don't think a whole lot of these other people that are in at these other radio stations, they just seem to be falling over whenever challenged by management to get that extra money from those advertisers when at the expense of their news service and also the fact that Glenn was so passionate and still so passionate about providing news that's not all showbiz and, you know, Wankerville stuff that <laughs> nobody really cares about. It's yeah. intelligent news that people want to know about the community. It's about stories that are going to be impactful on, on their lives. So whether it's a politics story, yeah. whether it's a human interest story, whether it's a story about, you know, health or anything like that, it treats the audience with respect. And and also when there were huge news stories, like it was rare for an FM radio station in particular to turn up at you know, I mean, I remember the Brisbane floods and, you know, the Victorian bushfires and federal elections and election campaigns even, like all over the place. We always, we being WS, always had a reporter there, whether it was myself or Leanne Lincoln or Dom Kasheri, who was the full-time um, reporter after Leanne left um, and before me. We always had someone there and that was Glenn. Like, that was Glenn insisting on, no, we need a presence, we need proper coverage of this, and the only re- the only way we're going to have proper coverage is if we send our own journal along, not just rip stuff off the TV. Yeah, and then, you know, um, when the time called for it, just transition and make it happen into what ordinarily would be bulletins finishing at 6pm. If there was something happened, yeah. like, Glenn would just say, right, we'll go to 12, yeah. like, you know... Um, elections, for example, you know, you can easily enough pick up the result in the morning at 6am, but when people want to know about things, uh, obviously they want to listen to the radio. So Glenn acknowledged that and was able to transition and people that he employed were also sharing that passion yeah. for news and it was just a whole mindset thing that yeah. he created. And I, I'm sure, I'm convinced that there's so many people out there that have gone on to be successful owe it to the fact that they had that great training from, from Glenn. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> it's been the Glenn Daniel mutual appreciation. I know. But really can't place enough emphasis on no. the fact that of what he's done to sort of, um, I guess, change the landscape of, of media in, in Sydney. Yeah. Now, the opportunity came for you to go to Channel 9. That came about through Peter Overton. Yes. Which is just a roundabout kind of way, isn't it? The fact that Glenn had actually had some health issues and had mm. to, to leave, so... Well, Pete was filling in. Pete yeah. Overton was filling in for Glenn at the time. He was reading um, news on WS uh, during Brecky, and it was a, you know, it was a, I think it was a cross-promotion kind of thing that Nine and Jonesy and Amanda were doing, and there was a lot more um, interaction and chats that he was having um, in the studio with... Jonesy and Amanda, and I think um, Jessica Rowe, his wife, ended up doing it uh, the following week at one stage as well. But um, back to when, yeah, Pete was doing it, I was, um, you know, pushing the buttons for him and writing the news for him and that kind of thing. And um, he was lovely. Like I got on well with him. He's another amazing human being like Glenn, just genuinely lovely person. I was, I met him doing that obviously and he said to me, oh, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I don't know. Like I kind of 
you know, I've been here for nearly five years now and I sort of... Because you were never a TV person. No. Right? You would never no. had any stage no. thought that's for me. You know, you're amazingly good looking and you're a perfect fit for <laughs> TV, but it was no. something yeah. that was never on your radar. No, it, it, it genuinely wasn't. Like, hand on my heart, never had any desire to, especially to be on air. But I remember saying to Pete Overton, I think I'd really like to be a producer one day. Like, I think I'd like to work as a producer and he said oh you'd be great in that role you you really would you'd you'd be a fantastic producer um come in come in one day next week and we'll have a coffee and we'll have a chat and I thought oh okay so I went into channel nine I met him and we you know I thought we were just having a coffee downstairs in the cafe and he said I'll come up I'll I'll introduce you to Darren Wick and I've gone oh my god really like oh shit I'm so did you think you were ready for that no not (laughs) at all not at all. And I wasn't expecting it. And I thought, oh, God, I wasn't prepared or anything. And he just sort of took me in for a casual chat and, you know, sat me down. Oh, Wiki, this is Cass. Cass, come on in. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is so awkward. Hello. hello. And sat down and and he said, oh, you know, Cass works at um, WSFM. She's been there for a few years now and she's thinking she might like to give producing a go. And Wiki said, oh, oh okay, righto. Because imagine um, like people like you would be a dime a dozen. They think that yeah. they could be producers and all the rest of it. So somebody like him would sort of see them all the time. Yeah, and, and not only that, I think he was sort of a bit like, oh, okay, you want to be a producer, right, fair enough. Um, and he said, well, look, um, it was coming up to Christmas and New Year and he said, have you got any time off over um, December, January? I said, well, no, I don't, um, but I work Monday to Friday, so I can come in every weekend. And he said, all right, yep, come in every weekend. And so I worked, it was paid, like I went in every Saturday and Sunday It was just working as a freelancer. It was bloody tough, like by the end of it, I was working, I think I'd worked something like 70 days straight right. without a day off, Christmas Day and, you know, Boxing Day and all the rest of it included. Um, but it was great because in terms of getting a start, in the nine newsroom and working on the six pm news every Saturday and Sunday, it was fantastic. So, who did you work with there? So, I worked under Mary Davison. So, she's our EP now, but at the time she was um, EP. She's been at nine for years and years and years. She was EPing on weekends, um, and I worked with her. I was working under her mainly um, because she was in charge of the six pm news and. It was great because, you know, Pete was reading on Sundays and I sort of felt comfortable that there was one person I kind of knew um, well and, I, you know, I still I felt like the new girl and I was a bit bored at first because I thought, oh, I don't know if TV is for me. Like this is a bit, you know, but obviously I didn't quite know what I was doing and I wasn't trusted to look after that much because obviously, you know, I'd never worked in TV before and it'd be like, oh, yeah, you can can write a VO and – that would take, you know, a 15-second yeah. BO. Yeah, yeah. It would take about one minute to write. <laughs> I'd be like, next, <laughs> what do I do now? Because that's the thing. It's just like in radio you're so used exactly. to doing everything and coming to half-hourly deadlines when you're yep. working on breakfast shifts. So to go and write some copy for someone yeah. is like second nature. And that's why I think when I did eventually start at nine full-time, I'd said to Wiki, I'm really interested in doing lineup. And he went, great. And that was basically being in charge of the daytime bulletins. And I think I've, I found that really easy to, um, 
progress into because it was so similar to radio. It was like, okay, get it in, put it to air, next. You know, it was sort of um, – it was similar to. It was a lot more similar to radio than working on the six pm news, where you spend you know ten hours working on one bulletin, um, which was half an hour at the time when yeah. I first started, um, and that's why working on the daytime desk was so good, particularly when I first started. How did you learn to then, I guess, manage and and deal with the stress that came along with doing it for the six o'clock news? Did you go back to that whole? radio mentality of just knowing what you had to do and just churning it out? Pretty much, yeah. Um, Because with producing, particularly on the 6pm desk, you're you're looking after sometimes, you know, three or four stories, three or four producers, but your role as a 6pm producer is to basically um, be there for the reporter and make the story your own just as much as the reporter is. So, you know, if it's a crime story, you know, looking looking over all over social media for, you know, victims or who, whoever, like people that you can contact or witnesses to certain things or, you know, if it's a real estate story, you know, helping set up talent, you know, set up interviews and things like that or just shot listing so that the reporter, if they're filing out on the road, um, they know what all the pictures are. They know what all the grabs are. And it's more being that support system for the reporter. And that that I kind of found a bit more, not slower paced, but it wasn't as intense as lineup because being on the daytime bulletins, again, you were you were in charge of the bulletin and you were out of there before the 6 p.m. news even went to air. Like you, you didn't have anything to do with the 6 p.m. news. And it's still like that. Like there are different desks in the newsroom where different groups of producers are responsible for different bulletins. So 6pm was a bit more cruisy in that regard, um, but it's obviously very high pressure because that's the most important bulletin of the day. What's it like dealing with different reporters um, at the at the station from a producing point of view? Because they're all different personalities, right? And they're yeah. all at different varying degrees of experience. So. Yeah. At some stage, I'd imagine you would have to manage reporters and journalists and and try to get the best out of them but not push them too far, if that makes any sense. It's funny. Like, I think, especially when I worked in radio, there was this real sort of, well, TV people kind of thing. And I could, you know, I just, I was, I'm not going to lie, it was daunting. Like, I thought, oh, you know, I think there's this, there was this, notion that you know people that work in tv or that are on tv have an ego and they're all really scary and you know i didn't i don't know about other networks but i didn't find that at all i'm not gonna lie i was i was freaking out like the Mm. first couple of times i was producing a story for someone like you know mark burrows or damien ryan or you know peter harvey i was sort of oh shit oh i can't i can't really need to you know like they're the best of the best. I can't stuff this up. And if I do, they're just going to think I'm an idiot. And there was never like that at all. And it still isn't like we've, I've never had any issues with anyone at work in that regard, because I think everybody has a real, like I said before, it's very much a team operation. And if everyone's working together and it's not as if, you know, you as the producer, you are just as much just as responsible for the story as the reporter. So I think everybody kind of takes it um, as their own responsibility to do the best job they can do. And, 
everybody's kind of supporting each other and working together. Um, you know, the editor who cuts the story and, you know, the producer who's doing your shot list, all of that. But I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was daunting, but I never, I never had any issues. Many frontline moments. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Because <laughs> that's the perception out there from yeah. people that sort of watch the media that perhaps TV land might be a bit like the old front line. But um, it's one of those things. It's just like I think that if you go into it and if you show some kind of skill or aptitude towards media, you either get it or you don't mm. and you quickly find out who the imposters are. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's true. Like I, you know, I mean, I've done court stories before and I've looked back on them and seen myself running down the street with a mic in hand, chasing after someone. And I cringe and I think, Oh God, look at me. I look like such an idiot, but that's the job. Like you're chasing after that person with a mic because you're trying to get a comment from them. You're trying to get a reaction to something that's just happened, or you're trying to get, you know, a piece of audio for your story. And you're trying to you know, if something they say may help tell the story and that's what you have to do. And as ridiculous as it looks and people, you know, people yell out to you and abuse you, leave them alone, your dogs, you know, things like that. And you just think, oh, I'm just doing my job. Yeah, you don't go to their house or their workplace and harass them yeah, exactly. about the job they're doing. Yeah, so. leave us alone. Oh, goodness. <laughs> now, you're getting married in October? Yes. Is it going to be Cassandra Wallace on our TV screens no, or Cassandra Wood or you haven't decided yet? I don't yet? know. I haven't decided. I don't know. I think, I, yeah, I, you don't I've move, thought you about don't, it. You don't move far up the alphabet though, do you? No, I know. No, I don't at all. Um, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't decided. I've thought about it. Because but... there are reporters that, um, or journalists or people that you see on TV or, and or radio get married and mm. some of them change their names and some of them don't to keep their professional name as it were. Yeah, I think I probably will. Like I'll change my name legally. So I think I probably will change it. Um, yeah, probably. Now you've gone down the, the path of, of radio. You've yeah. gone down the path of producing in TV. Yeah. You've gone down the path of being a reporter on TV. Is there anything in media that down the track that you'd like, you think that you could do? <sighs> I don't know. I mean... I often think about that. I mean, someone said to me the other day, oh, you know, what do you think you'll do next? I'm, I actually don't know. I genuinely do not know what I'll do next. I mean, I've only been reporting full-time for six months, so I should probably give that a bit more of a crack before I start, you know. <laughs> you know, mapping out your next Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like I don't have any burning desire to be a presenter or do anything like that, but I, I just I love being a journalist and I do – very much enjoy being on the road. Having said that, though, I do miss producing. So maybe one day that might be something that I go back to potentially. But at the moment, I'm just, I'm still trying to get my head around mastering the reporting thing. Do you look at something like perhaps 60 Minutes where you're able to produce a longer form story? Is that something that interests you perhaps? Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe one day, probably not at the moment, but I think one day I I would love to do that. That does really appeal because there is still that element of, you know, the chase like you do in reporting, like you're still very much trying to, you know, get the story and lock it down and help write it. 
Um, and there is still that journalism element more so than I guess working in in the newsroom. It's just a longer story that you Yeah, tell. exactly. It is. And and it requires a lot more, you know, I was saying before about all the boxes that need to be ticked. There's a lot more boxes that need to be ticked for a story like 60 minutes or even a current affair to some extent mm. because it is a longer format. So, um yeah, I'd love to work at 60 minutes as a producer one day. What's your favorite part about working in the media? Um honestly, I think my favorite part is it's never as <laughs> I was just going to say it's never dull. The next time I'm sitting outside Liverpool <laughs> Hospital for eight hours, sitting I'll remember that. In a yeah, somewhere. exactly. Sitting doing yeah, sitting at stakeout a crime scene or something. Um, I think the the thing I love the most is when my alarm goes off of a morning. You just you never know where you're going to end up. You never know what sort of story you're going to be doing. Um, you never know. You know, it's always guaranteed that it will be a long day because you may well end up doing four stories. If the first thing you start off doing falls over, you might get flung onto something else. But I love that it's never boring. Like it's not... Every day is the same essentially, but it's different. Yeah, it is. Exactly. You're always doing um, the same job, but you're doing a different story and you're meeting different people. And particularly with reporting now, I love that, you know, last week I did you know, a story about a fatal shooting, a story about um, a house fire, and then a story about the opera that opens next week. Like, you know, just all different How sorts important of stories. Is, is it for you to have that versatility where oh. you can move from that to that to that? And I guess it's also exciting that you can learn about these whole different new things. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it is really important. Like I... It is. It's it's incredibly important because it means that you never get bored. And I guess if you were only doing um, crime stories or if you were only doing colour stories and, you know, obviously people that specialise in that particular thing, whether it be state politics or crime or whatever, then, you know, they, they are a master of what they do um, because they have the right contacts and they do it every day and they have all of that, you know, what's needed to do that role. But I think for me personally, I enjoy doing a bit of everything because you just never get bored and it never gets dull. We'll wrap it up in a sec, but I just want to get some advice from you for anyone looking to break into media. So whether that be radio, TV, print or whatever, what would be the first thing that you would say to somebody that's looking to make it their career? I would say do as much work experience as humanly possible, not only to do, you know, to try and meet the right people or to to get your foot in the door, but to to actually learn whether it's what you want to do because I think a lot of the time people think that, oh, I want to work in media. They don't actually know what it involves and how intense it can actually be. It's not about the fame. It's not about no. the Instagram oh, followers. God, it's no. Jesus. It's not about the money. No. <laughs> exactly. No, not at all. It's You know what? It's long days. It is very rewarding, but it's a job that you have to be very passionate about. And if you're not passionate about it, then you're not going to enjoy it. And I think the best way to learn is to just do as much hands-on work experience as possible because if you don't do that, then, you know, how, how will you know? Cassandra Wood, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Ralphie. There she is, Cassandra Wood from Channel 9. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Cassandra, please let her know by sending her a tweet. She's at Cass J Wood.
You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.